Welcome to VS Voices. I'm Amanda Decadene. Today, I'm interviewing model and advocate Adut Akesh. In this episode of Voices, we talk about how Adut's childhood experiences in a Kenyan refugee camp taught her gratitude for every single day, what it was like to experience so much loss at a young age, and why Adut recently started speaking out about her mental health online. We also spoke about the rules that Adu has set in regards to how her hair is treated on set and the changes she hopes to make within the beauty industry for her fellow black models. Hey, Adut. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm really good. How are you? I'm good. It's nice to see you. It's nice to see you too. Adut, you just bought your house, right? I just bought my house a month ago. That's a big deal, being a new homeowner. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Why did you choose to settle in L.A.? For the past few years, maybe the last two, going to three years, I was really considering moving to L.A. I was a bit scared because it was not super convenient for work when I was traveling so much before the pandemic. So... I was like, I want to do it at some point. So last year, I was just like, I'm going to do it. I want to do it. So I moved in February, and LA's been home for the last eight months, I guess. And um, the reason I decided to move here was because I, I just wanted to be somewhere where good weather, nature, and something that was remotely close to home for me. I'm from Australia, so LA is like, the closest thing to home for me. I am closer to home by flight time, <laughs> but also just like, just the feeling and just the energy that I get from here is like the closest thing to home for me. So that was it. Now I'm here, but I'm really happy here. Oh, good. I'm so pleased to hear that. Well, when you say you're, you're from Australia, you are from Australia, mm-hmm. but originally, yep. you are from Kenya. Yeah, so I'm I'm from South Sudan. I was born on the way to Kenya. Grew up in Kenya, refugee camp for the first like seven, eight years of my life before moving to Australia. And then... What does that mean you were born on the way? My family was fleeing um, South Sudan to go to the refugee camp. So I was born in a hospital somewhere. You were born en route between exactly. two places. Exactly. And you talked about your family was fleeing mm-hmm. a refugee camp. Mm-hmm. How old was your mother at that time when you were born? My mother had me when she was about my age, so she was around 21. Do you think about that? Do you think about, oh my gosh, my mom is the same age as me. She had me at this age. At this age, I think about it all the time. How many years did you spend growing up in a refugee camp? Uh, pretty much the first eight years of my life. What's your perspective on growing up in a refugee camp now? Now that you're a homeowner in Los Angeles with your career and your life mm-hmm. and the perspective mm-hmm. you have, when you look back at that part of your childhood, what do you think? Definitely a different perspective, but... Back then, that's that's all I knew, right? I didn't know anything else. And I think that that kept uh, me and every other refugee. That That's what tends to keep us going. You understand? We don't, we can only hope and 
just pray for like a, a different outcome. But when that's all you know, that's all you know. So you just make the most of it. Mm-hmm. You understand? Every day, a new day was like another opportunity. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm alive today. Let's make the most of today. And that's just how, that's how life was for like eight years. I'm wondering whether that, that kind of appreciation for each new day and oh, that gratitude for each new day has stayed with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that my, my path and my journey and the circumstances that I've been through have definitely shaped me to be the person I am today. I'm grateful for every little thing. I'm grateful for every new day. I'm just, I'm very appreciative, you know, when you, when you don't have much, when you come for not much, you really appreciate every little thing that you get in this life. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm very fortunate to have found a way out of, you know, that and got to make something out of myself. And yeah, but that's what shaped me to be where I am today. I don't think had I not gone through the journey that I've been through in my life, I don't know if I would be here today. I don't know if I would be as hardworking as I am today or as determined and dedicated as I am today. And if I got asked if I would change anything about my journey, I don't think I would change anything about my journey because then I would have a different journey. I respect that. And I also know from my own life experience that the things that were the hardest things in my life went mm-hmm. on to give me a perspective and an insight that I'm so grateful for. That that feeling of gratitude is such a good feeling, isn't it? Where you're just it like, is. oh, it's all all right, because I'm so mm-hmm. feeling so grateful, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah. One of the things that struck me about about you, well, many things struck me about you, but one of them was this, that you've experienced so much loss mm-hmm. at a young age. And mm-hmm. Loss and grief is something that is Western culture just does not talk about this, um, mm-hmm. especially death, because it's the mm-hmm. one inevitability, but yet no one likes to talk about it because they say it's morbid. And right. I say, well, it's also reality. Mm-hmm. And when I was learning about you, I was realizing that you had to let go of your home at a young age. Mm-hmm. And then your dad died mm-hmm. from injuries. Mm-hmm. from serving in the liberation army mm-hmm. and your uncle died and mm-hmm. then your cousin died in 2019 in a car accident i mean this is a lot of loss mm-hmm. yeah what is your perspective on loss and grief and how have you continued to to go on with your life when obviously you've experienced a lot of pain around around loss. I think from a young age, I, I, I became immune to, to loss and just losing people around me. It almost, I don't know, I just, maybe I got numb to it. I'm not really sure how to explain it, but it was just something that I was used to. Not until, uh, up until 2019, when I lost my cousin, and that was a, that one there hit me very differently. It hit me there. I'm not sure if it was because I was in a different space in my life. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, but that one there really affected me a lot. And it kind of just brought back those emotions again. Now, like, you know, grieving and, and loss is really hard. I've 
since then I've lost other people in my life and it's it's taking a toll on me, but I think I've I'm finding the best way to, you know, grieve and, and maneuver with these changes <laughs> that are happening. Um but it's a part of life and there's nothing you can do about it, sadly. There isn't, but what we can do is make choices and educate ourselves and help others to mm-hmm. understand what is normal about grief right. and that there is kind of no normal, that everyone responds differently and that there right. are things you can do to help yourself process it, mm-hmm. namely feeling those feelings too. You can only, you know, pretend to be okay for so long. And the feelings don't go anywhere. They, they, they even don't know go we anywhere. think they do. <laughs> We're like, oh, they great. Do. That one, I they put that. They just bottle up yeah. and bottle up and bottle up and it leads you to a mental breakdown and it, it just, it's no good for anybody. And how have you made time in your life to allow yourself to maintain your mental health and to give yourself what you need? especially Mm -hmm. during a grieving process, but just the fact that your life is so busy and hectic and how Mm -hmm. do you prioritize time for yourself to make sure that you're staying mentally balanced? Yeah. In the last two years, I've prioritized my mental health over anything and everything. And talking about my, my mental health struggles has, has helped me. I would never come out to social media and sh- and tell anybody about my depression or my anxiety. And it was always a scary thought because you're thinking about, you know, people's judgments. Which are real. <laughs> Which are real, right? And that's the last thing you want to deal with when you're dealing with what you're dealing with. So one day, I think it was like New Year's of 2019, I just said, stuff it. I'm going to come out and I'm going to say it. And that was the first time I like really got to breathe that sigh of relief. Like, okay, this wasn't as bad as I really expected it to be or has had anticipated it to be the reaction I was getting. It was like, oh, okay. Like I'm human. I'm human like everybody else. And sometimes I go to therapy. Sometimes I just talk to my mom and my sister, but talking about how you're feeling, what you're feeling is really important. And I have, I have great people around me that allow me to, to be able to just, you know. Express yourself. That, you know, free therapy with my friends and family. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I think what you're saying about being able to communicate and talk, research has shown that women, we're very communal mm-hmm. and we process our feelings by talking about things on a group level yeah exactly verbalizing and talking it through and putting together Mm -hmm. your team of people whether it's friends family therapists whatever it is that can support Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. processing is Mm -hmm. part of responsible mental health isn't it exactly yeah I'm really pleased that you do speak about it because so many people deal with various kinds of mental health issues and we have to normalize it exactly and that that was my thing I was like you know what even if a hundred people are gonna judge me and look at me differently there's gonna be one person that is gonna relate to me and one person who's probably been dealing with this way longer than I have been and is gonna 
you know, relate to me and know that they're not alone. And Everybody... and it's not like you choose it, you know. It's, exactly. It's the same thing as like if someone had cancer, we wouldn't treat them with disdain and judgment it, and say, oh, you're not exactly. trying hard enough. Why exactly. aren't you doing more to make yourself feel better? The truth mm-hmm. is, is that it is something, men- having a mental health issue uh, or diagnosis is not something that people choose. We've just, you just get it. Exactly. You just get it. And what can you do about it? Right. And it doesn't help when people are making you feel bad about something that you have no control over. So I can't wait to get to a point where it's normal, where people are like, oh, oh, she's depressed. Oh, she has anxiety. Yes, I have depression and I have anxiety. And guess what? I still I, I, I fight through it and I get up and I go on about my day and do what I have to do. And I try to live my life and not let that stop me. And yeah. I think it's important to share what works for people, right? Because there's so many different things that work for different people. For me, I felt so trapped in my own head and my thoughts and my feelings. And I felt like no one would ever understand. So I thought, never speak of it and it will just disappear. That's not how it goes. So for me, when I started speaking about it, that really helped me. So speaking about what you're feeling and what you're experiencing is the most important thing, in my opinion. It's what worked for me. I also journal. Beautiful. And I was doing that before I was speaking to people, actually, because that was the only way to really get out what was in my head without anybody judging me or feeling like they're going to look at me differently or treat me different. Um, so journaling. And, and then I started, like, incorporating, like, exercising into and things like boxing. Even just going for walks, being around nature and moving to LA really helped me a lot with my mental health and mental state. We went through a really hard year in 2020, like everyone, we did. And I was like, I want my 2021 to be different. I want to be where I'm happy, where I feel like my soul is happy, where like I'm going to be able to just, you know, be. You know? Yeah, I know. And that's why I was like moving to LA. I'm, I have nature. I want to walk around. I want to go outside and the sun is shining and the sun really does play a big role. Oh, in how huge, I feel, by the huge. Way. No, right? there's there's seasonal <laughs> affective real. disorder where you <laughs> don't get enough, you know, vitamin D and sunlight, which a lot it's, of people got really badly from being indoors for 2020. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. So when you moved to Adelaide, you did not speak English. How was that for you being in a new culture and not speaking the language? In the start, it was, it was pretty scary. Everything about my whole move was scary. Kenya was home for eight years. Kenya, the refugee camp, Kakuma refugee camp was all I knew for eight years. So it's like, oh, now I'm leaving my family. I'm leaving my home behind. I'm leaving everything behind. I'm going to a whole nother country I know nothing about. I know they speak a different language and there's people who look different to me. So it was all scary, but I was excited because I was like, I'm going to have an opportunity to, I was excited for things like going to school and not having to worry about my family, my cousins or anything like that. So I had hope and I was very optimistic and I was just open-minded about it. But it was scary being eight, leaving everything you know behind. So when I went to Australia and they, 
you know, they spoke a different language. It was hard at first, but I, I was so determined to learn the language and be able to understand what people are saying to me at school. And, and I learned English pretty quickly. I learned English pretty quickly. You speak English beautifully. Did you experience you. any kind of prejudice when you moved to Adelaide because of the way you look and because of the language you spoke? The way I sounded, the way I looked, just everything. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I definitely felt very different. I felt out of place. Um, I felt judged. I felt looked at differently. Um, but, you know, I, I just kept telling myself, there's no turning back now. Like, this is it. <laughs> so just adjust and make the most of it and, you know, get yourself out of this. So, yeah, I mean, the kids used to make fun of me for my gap that I've always had. I love your gap. Now, Keep your gap. Thank you. I love Please, my, I I love love my it. gap. I'm keeping it. It's never going yeah, anywhere. Yeah, good. It's you. <laughs> it's never going anywhere. You know, but these are the things I was judged for. My skin color and how tall and lanky and just, I was shy. I'm, I'm still a very shy person, by the way. I'm only really like out of my shell and I feel comfortable with people but as a kid and you know you're going to school with new people new just everything new of course you're gonna be shy so I was the girls at school which I hope they see me now and be like I should have been nicer to her oh I'm sure they um, will yep um they made me feel really bad but I just looked at the bigger picture I'm like look for the last eight years of my life or really since I was five to eight, I really wanted to go to school. So now I'm here. I'm in school. Let me block out these girls because they're, me being at school is more important than what they're saying mm. to me. So how did Teenager Do decide that being a model was something she wanted to do? Was it ever on your radar? Did you... When you were growing up in Adelaide, did you see other girls that looked like you? How did you become interested in modeling? Growing up, I didn't necessarily see girls that looked like me. I did not think so. Like <laughs> <laughs> that was not the case. Um, but from when I was 12, I, I don't know how I had stumbled across Naomi Campbell. Mm. And somehow I stumbled. And I, I think that year was the first time I watched Victoria's Secret. So from 12 up until the very last show, I was watching every single show. I was obsessed. Amazing. Um, I discovered Naomi Campbell and I was just so fascinated and intrigued and just like in awe of like, wow, she's so beautiful. And what she does, I didn't really have any knowledge of modeling. Even when I started modeling, I had no knowledge. I just kind of went into it. I'm like, look, she looks good. I want to look like her and I want to do what she's doing. And I had this teacher, my year seven teacher when I was 12. I think I still remember his name, Mr. Parsons. Something like that. If he's ever going to hear this, thank you. Um, he would always tell me that, you know, when you grow up, you should become a model. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just go along with it. Yeah. Like, yeah. But the idea really started getting into my head. <laughs> and then I had told my mom I wanted to be a model. And back then they used to be like these modeling, um, what are they called? Contests. Like, yeah. Not even contests. It was more like a modeling training thing. And I told my mom and my mom was just like, you're 12, you're in year seven. 
when not even having this discussion, just kind of just disregarded it, you know? I was like, all right, cool, no problem. I had an auntie who was doing some modeling at the time, but even that I wasn't really aware of. I didn't really see, didn't really understand. But I told her I wanted to model. And then she tried to talk to my mom, and, you know, my mom kind of just brushed it under the rug. And then the following year, when I was 13, I remember my very first experience with modeling I had was I walked in a, a small little show in Adelaide in the city, in Rundle Mall. My auntie, she was making some African print um, clothing at the time, the auntie that was modeling. So she had a mini show that she had put on, and I was like, yeah. She asked me to be a part of it, so I, I walked in the show, and that's, that was the moment I knew that that is what I wanted to do. Wow. Yeah. I Did just it just feel right? Feeling. It felt right. I felt like, I don't know if it's what love at first sight feels like. I'm not too sure what I experienced in that moment, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So that was, that was teenager did wanting to model, you know, discovering Naomi Campbell and just being fascinated about what she did. And then, you know, getting into Victoria's Secret and obviously getting more into modeling and trying to educate myself. I, you know, I taught myself how to walk and how to pose in front of a mirror. And I would walk down. I remember the house that we were living in at the time. It, we had like, it was almost like a very quiet, private um, road. And I would just be in my wedges at the time, <laughs> just walking up and down, walking Amazing. up and down, walking up and down. And that was it. That was wow. that. Wow. So yeah. this really is a dream come true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did Definitely. you go from being that girl walking in your wedges down your street to being the celebrated and acclaimed model that you are today? I, I think it's just knowing what it is that you want and what it is that you want to do and really just going for it. That was it. I didn't know how successful I was going to become. I didn't even really think anything of it. I said, this could either work or it cannot work. And I have other choices in life. I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be a fashion designer uh, at the same time as wanting to be a model. So I was like, if this doesn't work, then I have other things to fall back on, you know, stuff it. So I just, I went for it and I just worked hard. I stayed dedicated. I stayed committed. I stayed, you know, focused. It was hard. It still is hard, even until now. It's very hard. It's, it doesn't get easy ever. You know, people tend to think like once you make it to the top or once you make it to a certain level of success that it, everything is just easy and whatever. You don't have to think of anything, but that's not the case. I worked really hard and I knew that this is what I wanted to do. This is what I was passionate about. It made me happy. So I went for it from 13 to now 21, turning 22 soon. I I literally got married to Mudley and that was it. It's been a very committed, never given up relationship between my modeling career and I. Wow, real dedication. That's it. Real dedication. And hard work. It will it will get you somewhere, definitely. And how has your success affected your view of yourself? in a positive way? Do you feel proud of yourself? Do you feel like this hard work that I did? Paid off. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm definitely very, very proud of myself. And I tell myself that a lot more now before I kind of just, you know, I, I knew I was doing good things and, but I never really told myself or ever really just patted myself on the back. Like you're doing a great job. You've done more than enough. You've done more than you could have ever imagined or dreamt of doing, you know? So I'm really extremely proud of myself. Um, I try to tell myself that every single day now, and it really does keep me going. Um, the hard work has paid off. The hard work and the sacrifices that I, I've made, you know, le leaving my family was the biggest sacrifice that I've made. Even now, still being away from them is very hard, but it's all paid off. I, I, I chased my dream, and I, I was good at it, and I succeeded, and I bought my mom a house and I bought my mom a car and I pay off my sibling's school fees and I'm able to do the things that I always wanted to do for my family because I made that sacrifice to leave them to come and pursue my dreams. And it is a very courageous thing to do. It is. <laughs> it it is. is a very courageous thing to do. I just want to reflect that back to you, mm -hmm. that leaving behind all that you knew. No. Mm -hmm. Given that was the second time in my life that I had to leave everything. Exactly. Again. And you, you know, could have so easily been like, no, I know what this is like. It's too hard. I don't want to do it. And you knew that it was going to be hard and you did it anyway. So that is a very courageous move. Exactly. And that's why I have to be easy on myself. Um, sometimes I will be hard on myself and I go, you're not doing enough. Or you're not doing good enough. And these are just the battles that I struggle with my mental health. And I know I'm doing more than enough, but something down the line just reminds me you're not doing enough. So I try to not be so hard on myself these days. No, it's really important to be gentle. And I like that you say that you remember to say, Adu, you're doing a really good job. We live in a culture where there's never enough success you could fame, always do more. money, whatever it is. Better. It's always mm -hmm. more, more, more. And the truth is, is like, we don't need more, you know? And what is the cost of more exactly. on our mental health, on our spiritual health, on our physical health, that's, on our relationships and learning what the cost is. And it's different for each one of us. I want to talk to you about advocacy because you've obviously got a lot of insight and a lot of wisdom to share. And mm -hmm. I really do appreciate the things that you talk about publicly. But one of the things that I didn't know that you are passionate about is natural hair. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted you to speak a little bit about that. Yes. Um... And what your hopes are and what your goals are around advocating for, for natural, uh, hair. natural hair. Yeah, natural hair, black girl natural hair. Um, I mean, it hasn't always been, you know, the, the modeling industry hasn't always been the most understanding when it comes to us black girls and our skin and our hair. That is an understatement. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> um, for the longest time, when I started modeling, I, I had cut my hair already because I knew that that's what the industry wanted from me. Right. So my hair was already short and my hair was short for the most part of my career. It's been short. It's been shorter than short. It's been bold. It's been half short, half long. It's been everything, you know, but throughout time, I just thought to myself, you know what? 
I would like to be able to have a different look when I want to have a different look. Like all the other Caucasian girls can have long hair one day, green hair the next day, and it's okay. And it's normal and it's not an issue for anybody. So last year I decided to grow my hair out because my hair also, even when having short hair, there wasn't a lot of people who knew how to care for my hair. <laughs> That's probably the main the biggest issue, the way that our hair is cared for or taken care of is with no care, <laughs> you know? A lot of people don't understand that our hair is very different. Within just, you know, the black girls, the brown girls, our hairs are all different. My hair is different to my assistant who's sitting next to me, you know? But knowing the basics on how to care for it, you can't just put a straightener through my hair. Yeah, you're going to get straight hair, but that's going to damage my hair. And my hair doesn't grow overnight. It takes time, <laughs> you know? So these are all the things that we just battled with. And I remember there was one season in particular, my hair was a bit longer than it would usually be. And everybody started straightening it. And by the end of the season, I had no hair left. And that was the reason I cut my hair to bold for like almost a year, pretty much a year. Or like, eight months or something because it was so damaged but I said this is not fair it's not fair that I have to now come and cut my hair because people couldn't take care of my hair and because there's nobody who understands my hair and knows what to do with my hair being hired for these jobs that I have to pay the price so I said okay cool if not you know the exclusion of people of color from not only in front of the camera, but the teams but that work behind, behind yeah. is monumental. That's, it is. I started my company, Girl Gaze, in order to make sure that the teams behind the camera, hair, makeup, well. stylists, photographers, are also diverse perspectives. Because if exactly. you've got you in front of the camera, you need someone who knows how to like you, you who, knows who knows how to how take to... care of your skin, your hair, hair and, it, everything. and there's a lack of representation across the board. So Absolutely. it makes sense that you've got people that don't know how to take care of your hair exactly. working with you. And it was super frustrating because I just didn't understand if you can't do my hair, why not just get somebody who can do my hair, who knows how to do my hair? It really just started with the pandemic and me not being able to go to a barber and get my hair cut. That's how it started. Then I said, you know what? I'm going to grow my hair out. And once I grow it out, I'm not cutting it for anybody. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start caring for my hair. I'm going to start actually doing what I want to do with my hair. Just like every other girl, every other model has a choice in what they want to do with their hair. I'm going to have the same choice. Because if you can't hire a black hairstylist who knows what to do with my hair, I'm going to go out of my way, even though I shouldn't have to, but I will go out of my way and get my hair done by a black person who knows what to do with my hair and then I'm going to come to my shoot and I'm going to get the shoot done and I'm going to have good hair so then the only issue I have to worry about is my makeup that's another thing I bring my own makeup to my shoot by the way I do I think I think you're talking about giving yourself choices that you shouldn't have to give those choices should be provided for you exactly I'm going to really encourage you to mandate that if people want to hire you that as part of you hiring you they must hire black hair and makeup stylists who know how to work with you. Otherwise, they don't get to work with you. Absolutely. And that's what I've been starting. That's what I started doing. And that's what I have been doing now because and 
me growing out my hair and then me starting to braid it. And this was the other thing too. I remember the first job that I had after braiding my hair and it was such a big conversation. It was, no, we like her hair shorter and we don't like the braids. I said, well, that I'm not doing the shoot. <laughs> I'm not doing And that was the first time I was really like, you know what? No, I have to be firm and step my foot down on this because you are not always going to have the say in every little thing. Exactly. You can have a say in the creative direction and what you want to do when it's your clothes. But my hair and how my skin looks is not your choice. And I was like, I'm not doing it. They ended up having to accept it because I was like, at the end of the day, I know that you know why you came asking for me. So you're not going to come and make me feel like, oh, okay, well, if you're not going to change your hair to the way that we like it, then we don't want you. And, that, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay to not do the shoot, to not get this money. I was so okay with that. And I, I had a team meeting with all my agents and I said, guys, this is what it's going to be. My hair is not even up for discussion. I'm going to come with braids and you guys are going to tell every client she has braids. She has cornrows in her hair. And if they don't want the cornrows, that's okay. That's that. That's not happening. You know? And I really had to make my team understand why it was so important to me. There was a point that I was trying to prove. And there's a point that needed to be proved. Even though I didn't have to go out of my way to do that, I wasn't just doing it for me. I was doing it for all the other black girls who want to have their hair in cornrows, who want to have nice wigs, not synthetic, cheap wigs that look terrible, who have, you know, have to cut their hair because that's how clients prefer it. So it wasn't even just for me. But I was like, you know what, if I have to be the bad guy, you know, and, and really step up and say that this is what it is and you have to accept this and understand that this times are changing. It's not going to be the same thing every year, the same thing, you know. But isn't that great? So, it's great when you when you can use your position in the world to mm-hmm. leverage positive change for mm-hmm. other people, it is the best feeling. And it is, it is. it's uncomfortable because mm-hmm. I know when I've done it, I experience a lot of pushback. There's a bunch exactly. of people that are like, hell no, we don't want you having that amount of control. Exactly. But when you're okay with walking away and saying, that's fine, then I'm just not that's the fine. person for you. Exactly. And you feel okay about it. It's a exactly. really good feeling to know I'm exactly. making positive change. I was ready to lose any money. I was ready to lose any job because for me, having freedom and control over my hair was more important to me than any money anybody could give me or you know that's what it just came down to I was like it's you (laughs) it's you my hair is my it's a part of me it's a part of my identity braids these braids I have in right now are a part of my culture you understand you can't strip me of everything even things that are part of me, things that are part of my identity and my culture. And I said no. I completely said no. I, I was, a lot of people wanted to crucify me for it. It was such a big thing. I said to my agents, I'm not having any discussion about my hair. So my agents knew not to even ask me anything to do with my hair. And that's what it just came down to. I said, when is a hair discussion? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. It's not happening. Did so you get pushback? Was. Were there people who were I like, did. yeah, I did. There was a lot of like complaints that I didn't want to really be cooperative. You know, exact. That's the word. Yeah. Oh, such a manipulation. They're not cooperating with you. <laughs> why are you the one that's not cooperating? I said, why is my hair such an issue for you? Mm. Why is it such an issue for you? What 
you want me for my face, right? Not for my hair. My hair has absolutely nothing to do with my face. So why is it such a big issue? And if you want me, you want me because I'm good at my job, not because of what I really look like. You understand? I stood my ground and I said, no. I started shooting Vogue with my Conros. I shot covers with my Conros and I started doing different braids. And it was just a thing of, you have to accept me for everything that I come with and everything that I am. Until you're asking other girls to cut their hairs and dye their hairs, people that we're not going to mention, but I still use that demanding that they cut their hair and dye their hair and do their hairs the way you want it. You can't say anything to me about my hair. And that's what it is. And now look, the season that just finished, every brand wanted Conros in their shows. Every brand wanted braids in their shows. But a year ago, every brand was trying to, a lot of people, not every brand, but a lot of people had an issue with my hair. So I want to let this plane go, Cass. So I just sit back now and I just, I just smile. I'm like, all right, cool. Point proven. That's that. Point proven. And, and I'm happy that every, every black girl this season, every girl of color got to have nice hair. Yes, her hair. Got to, got to have nice hair in their shows, whether it was their natural hair or it was with braids or conros. Everybody's hair looked good. You know? I do. I feel and a I feel a hair care line coming on for you. Listen, I do honestly. But even growing out my hair for the past year, this is the healthiest my hair has been. If before I started cutting it and before I got into this industry, but this is the healthiest my hair has been. This is the best my hair has looked. Is it because I don't let anybody put heat in my hair? I don't let anybody who doesn't know what to do with my hair touch my hair. I think people need to stop getting offended that. I say, no, you, this person can't do my hair. You shouldn't get offended that I'm saying you can't do my hair. You, you can't do my hair because you don't have the knowledge of what to do with my hair. So you should go and take the time to go and learn what it is that my hair needs and how my hair needs to be cared for. And then you can come back again and maybe we can, I mean, we can ult- have this discussion. Ultimately, you know? ultimately, you're valuing yourself. Mm-hmm. And you are asking for that respect that you give yourself exactly. to be shown to you by the people around you. Exactly. In your career and I'm sure exactly. in your personal life. And exactly. that is an empowered position and an empowered place to come from and to walk your walk through your life with. And I mm-hmm. personally am so excited to hear Thank that you. that is where you're at. And I'm really excited to keep watching you and to see what you do in the world with the opportunities that you have. Yeah, definitely. The promise I've made to myself is that I'm going to, I'm always going to use my voice um, when it comes to things that matter to me. It's not just me. Me doing what I do is for an entire community, is for an entire village, is for an entire race I'm always going to use my platform and whenever I have the opportunity to speak and I'm always going to speak even if I'm not presented the opportunity but if those opportunities are there I'm going to take oh my god you're just my kind of girl you are my kind of girl (laughs) when when I need to when I feel like I have to speak I have to speak and that lasts forever knowing that you've done that lasts forever it really is absolutely and that's one of the things 
for me that was exciting about being a part of this collective with VS mm-hmm. was that mm-hmm. we have an opportunity to speak to a global platform. What does it mean to you to be a part of this collective? And what do you hope you'll be able to do with this powerful platform that we have? I'm 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 super excited. I'm super excited to be a part of Victoria's Secret now. Oh yes, for I've, sure. I've seen Victoria's Secret throughout the years. It was super exciting in the start, and it was my absolute dream to walk Victoria's Secret. And then down the line, I saw, I saw things that everybody saw. As much as it's a dream for me, or was a dream for me. Until it changes, it's a dream that has to be put on hold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> because for sure. it was not something I wanted to be a part of. Just yeah. because, you know, for yes. obvious reasons. Yes. So now, the, the Victoria's Secret that I know it's about to be is exciting. When I heard about it, when I first heard about it, you know, obviously everybody was skeptical at first. It was like, uh, are we sure? Sure, we all had the we same. Wanna... We all had the same concerns based on the past, you know. But together, we get to create and help shape the Victoria's Secret of the future. That, the Victoria's Secret it should have always been. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited that I get to be a part of a, a group of incredible women like yourself and I'm, I'm just I'm really really excited for it I'm proud I'm excited I'm so hopeful it's gonna be good it's gonna be a really really good community it's gonna be a good team it's already a good team to be a part of but the things that we're going to do are super exciting to me they are and I'm and, I, and I'm happy I'm happy that you know we're in this time and in this moment of time actually and it's just it's exciting it's exciting it's exciting I'm, I'm proud that we get to do use our platforms to speak about things that we want to speak about without anybody trying to stop us without anybody having any control to stop us or any ability to do so I'm excited yeah, I mean, very much women so. are the future we are the future we've always been the future and we'll always be the future but now more than ever, we really are the future. <laughs> I'm so grateful that you're a part of the collective and that I get to collaborate with you and get to know you and, you know, witness your incredible journey. So thank Me you. Me too. Me too. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you. Thank again. you. This was super fun. I really, really enjoyed this. I did as well. Many more to come. Many more to come. Yes. For sure, for sure. Definitely. This is VS Voices, a brand new original podcast series by Victoria's Secret. Listen here or wherever you get your podcasts.